0: We are hoping to show you just what is possible out there in our strange and wondrous world. We travel for business. We travel for pleasure. The story that I had to tell my American audience was very different from the stories that I had to tell to my Rwandan audience. We travel to expand our minds. Of course, the most dangerous animal in Africa is the hippo. More people are killed by hippos than anything else. Whether it's one state over. I was looking for a longer treatment, like 90 days, six months. And my treatment plan was to go hike the Appalachian Trail. Or halfway around the globe. This fantastic high desert. You watch the sky at night,
1: so you just see the milk. Way and shooting stars.
0: If the world's a book, why only read one page? I'm Elizabeth Hill, and you're listening to a WAMC Northeast Public Radio production. This is Postcards from the Road. Support for Postcards from the Road comes from CEFQ, serving banking, insurance, and investment needs with more than 30 branches across the greater capital region. Also offering assistance to local nonprofit organizations through CEFQ's Community Support Program, CEFQ changing lives every day. CEFQ.com. Kristin Amico was working in the public relations field in Boston, Massachusetts, when she decided it was time to do something extraordinary. Like many of us, she dreamed of leaving her job and traveling the world. Unlike many of us, she pulled it off, planning and organizing her finances and researching destinations. She created an itinerary, and in July 2017, Amiko took off for Prague.
1: I had been thinking about it for a few years. Um, I knew I wanted to write more. I knew I wanted to do less marketing, uh, but I knew I needed a plan. So about three years ago, I put together a really big spreadsheet of living costs. Um, I made some really big adjustments in the way I lived and the way I spent money. Um, and now, three years later, I'm in a place where I had enough savings that I I could I knew I could travel six months to a year.
0: In August of 2017, while reading Amiko's blog about her visit to Chernobyl nuclear plant, I became fascinated with her travels, and I suddenly wanted to learn more about what it was like inside the former Soviet city. After a few emails back and forth, we realized our paths would eventually cross in Budapest, Hungary. Following my 11-hour flight through Munich, Germany, I found myself on a park bench on the Buda side of the Danube River, talking about life, travel, and the ruins of Chernobyl. The disaster began during a systems test on April 26, 1986 at Reactor 4 of the Chernobyl plant near Pripet, Ukraine, roughly nine miles from the Belarus border. There was an unexpected power surge, and as operators attempted an emergency shutdown, there was a much larger spike in power. This second spike caused a reactor vessel to rupture, and a subsequent series of explosions followed. Over the following weeks, clouds of highly radioactive fallout launched into the atmosphere, spreading over an extensive area, including parts of Europe and the former Soviet Union. According to the International Atomic Energy Agency, which was founded in 1957 in response to deep fears about the growing use of nuclear technology, about 60 percent of the fallout landed in Belarus. Around 30 people died in the first few days after the explosion. Amiko, however, wasn't worried about radiation exposure.
1: I had done some research, um, and the the radiation levels, if you're in there for one day, they even have 48 hour and three day tours, are so low. You'll actually be exposed to more radiation on a transatlantic flight than you normally would be on an afternoon day tour.
0: But why Chernobyl? Of all the places Amiko could go in the world, a nuclear disaster site seems a bit macabre. Amiko said as an 11-year-old, she remembered watching the event on television, and she was drawn to the photos of the devastated area. She said it was not the devastation that attracted her, but the beauty in places that she believes people have forgotten. Amiko was excited to see Chernobyl, while it still had some semblance of what it looked like in 1986.
1: I've seen pictures, you know, on Instagram, there are definitely pictures. There are a few tour groups that lead daily tours now. Um, In fact, you have to use an authorized tour. You can't go by yourself. There are security checkpoints um, and police. I think I was expecting it to be a little more deserted, but in fact, there are more people than you realize. There are several thousand workers who just finished the new sarcophagus that they put on top of the old reactor, um, and there are tour groups in every day during the summer. So you definitely see workers, you see security people, and in some of the old buildings, uh, you'll you know you might see one other group of maybe a uh, five or six tourists. Overall. Uh, When you go into these buildings, they're in pretty bad shape these days. They've been exposed to the weather and the elements for 31 years now. Um, Some of the rooms that didn't have windows are in better condition than the exterior-facing rooms. Um, But even in kind of the ruined conditions, you can still see a snapshot of what life was like under Soviet rule.
0: Soviet authorities began to evacuate the approximately 30,000 residents of Pripet on April 27th, And it wasn't until april 28th that the news broke of the explosions
1: there was an ongoing concern that there would be a second explosion because the the meltdown was so intense so over the first three days uh, they were working pretty rigorously to get it under control but they hadn't told anybody uh, what was going on outside of you know a small group of soviet officials Um, As I understand it, it was the the Swedes that publicly announced there was a problem because they monitored, um, they were monitoring weather and other conditions, and they saw the the nuclear cloud coming over Europe, um, and only then was Russia basically forced to publicly admit what happened so the you know it's it's just really heart wrenching to know that the people in Ukraine um, and in Belarus and all those surrounding towns they weren't taken care of. Um, they weren't given proper precautions. The people in Pripyat were taken out, but under you know false pretenses that there was a, a minor problem, they'd come back in a day or two. Um, and basically, you know, entire entire villages were, were ruined. You know, families were broken up. People were basically uh, nuclear refugees. Um, and again, this this wasn't anything I really ever thought about in life.
0: Swedish officials at Forgemark Nuclear Power Plant, approximately 900 miles from Chernobyl, near Stockholm, detected radioactive particles in the air and worried that some sort of nuclear event had taken place. I asked her if anything stood out during her tour.
1: There were two buildings actually that were fascinating but traumatizing, I want to say. We went through the, the school, it was an elementary school. Um, again in pretty bad disrepair but when you got to the the canteen the cafeteria the floor is littered with uh, it's just a sea of gas masks for children Uh, so seeing that visual is pretty tough to look at Um, and then our guide let us know that most likely none of those gas masks were ever used because they didn't want to incite any kind of riots or violence so the Soviet officials uh, didn't tell everybody exactly what was happening and they didn't put any of the gas masks on the kids because they didn't want anybody to be too afraid. So that first day, nobody in Chernobyl knew what was happening, and from what I understand, nobody took any precautions.
0: Hundreds of residents and workers involved with the cleanup were affected by acute radiation syndrome. More workers subsequently died between 1987 and 2004, but their deaths have not been attributed to radiation exposure. However, for Amico, the gains far outweighed the risks.
1: I mean, I think it's, it's one of those places that I think we all deserve to, to visit um, and to be mindful of the actual impact that, you know, geopolitics and some of the decisions that we never think about, Um, real-life consequences that it has on people, that it has on communities, that it has on families, Um, especially in today's political climate, where I think we're very quick to, um, you know, to denounce other folks and and threaten different kind of military actions. I think if if we all went to places like Chernobyl and other places like this in the world, it might give us pause um, and make us think a lot harder about how we want our world to actually be.
0: After our interview and a few more days in Budapest, Amiko moved south to Serbia and Croatia, then met a friend in the Naples region of Italy. From there, she headed to Paris for a month. There were a few more quick trips, but she rounded off her expedition by going back to the Balkans, namely Bosnia, where she spent about six weeks. After spending some time in Myanmar, Amiko headed back to the States in December of 2017. Amiko currently splits her time as a freelance writer based out of Boston and traveling, and has spent time in India and Berlin this year. If you'd like to read more about Amiko's adventures, head to her website, howtotraveltheglobe.com. Postcards from the Road is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. I'm your host and producer, Elizabeth Hill. Our theme music is Cherry Blossom Wonders by Kevin McLeod. And as always, if you like what you hear, subscribe on your audio app of choice. Visit WAMCPodcasts.org for more information. If you'd like to submit your travel story, email postcards at WAMC.org.